Welcome to the podcast of Church on the Rock in New Albany, Indiana. We believe the message you're about to hear will encourage you today. If you got your Bibles with you, let's turn to the book of Psalm, Psalm 92. And we're going to continue this series talking about why church, why the local church, why do we need church. And so today, we're going to talk out of Psalm 92. We're going to start around verse 12. And this is a very short passage, but this is kind of where we're going to hang out today. And I'm very excited to preach this to you. This is uh, something that I love to preach about. I could talk about the local church with my hands tied behind my back and blindfolded. It's just in me. And it should be in you as well. So I, I realized we just came out of conference. So you could feel a little sleepy, but let's choose right now to stir ourselves up. Can, can, you, can we get in agreement right now? I'm going to choose to physically, mentally, and spiritually stir myself up and lean in to the message today. We just came out of a great conference, didn't we? We had a wonderful week of Word and Spirit conference. And uh, let me just say thank you to all the ministry of helps that helped out, all the ushers and security. Never felt safer in my life. Um, then we had all the people that helped with all the meals in the back, and it was wonderful. You got to bless all those pastors and all the staffs. The kids on the rock helped so we could be in the service. All the people that helped with the worship team, Jessica and the worship team did such a great job with the worship, the visuals, the sound. Everybody did such a wonderful job, so thank you, thank you, thank you. Come on, can we thank everybody for helping at the Word and Spirit Conference to make it what it should be. I had uh, Bronson. Is Bronson here today? Yeah, that's my security guard right there. I had Bronson. He was walking with me, and I was over here talking to some of these boys the other day, and he was standing off, and I said, if I just wink at Bronson, y'all are dead. Just one wink. The security team is ready to go at any time. So, so just in case this conversation starts getting a little intense, one wink. And I had Chad right here, too. You know, Chad, all he's got to do is a pressure point, and you're literally done. He's so nice. He'd be like, how you doing, brother? <clears throat> Chad Steele. So that man, the security team is just thriving right now. Thriving right now. So Bronson, I appreciate it. You had my back the other day, the whole entire conference. But we had such a great Word and Spirit conference. And just to let you know, those will all be up on podcast in the next week or so. So look out for those. But today I want to talk about the local church, why we need it. And we're going to start here, Psalm 92 and verse 12. It says, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Verse 13, key verse for today. Those who are planted. Everybody say planted. Everybody say planted. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. This is what they're going to be like. They shall still bear fruit in old age, and they shall be fresh and flourishing. Verse 15, to declare that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Can I get amen this morning? If you're taking notes today, the title of my message is Planted in God's House. Planted in God's House. Brother Josh, can I get a little more on my microphone as I'm preaching? Because I'm about to preach but I want to strain myself. So we're talk today about planted in God's house. Now, last week we started this series about why church. And uh, just to do a quick recap, we're living in a time and a day that people want to know why church. Why is it important? Should I even come to church anymore? Uh, after COVID and after all the political divisions, racial divisions, church leaders falling, denominations falling, people have had it with the church. And people, most people still love God, and they still love church, but they're like, man, I don't even know if it's that important to really go anymore. I can watch on my smartphone. Really, that's really not church, but it's the best you got at times. If you're away, I get that. That's what it's there for. But I'll just watch it on my smartphone, or you know, I'll just listen to the podcast later, or you know, I just don't need church because, man, the church has let me down, and all the restrictions in this country and the divisions. And, and I don't have confidence in the church anymore that I should be a part of a church community. I don't know if we should be a part of church. But 
The church is God's idea. Do you realize the past two or three years, it wasn't just an attack on this world. What's happened, it's been an attack on God's church. All the things that have happened in the world are not just aimed at the world. They're aimed at the church for people to lose their confidence in church, for people to stop coming to church, for people to leave the church. Because the enemy knows the most powerful thing on the earth is the church of Jesus Christ. And when the church is mobilized, doing the mission of God, it is the greatest force for good on the earth. The church is. The church is doing more to help people spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally, in every other way more than any other organization, the local church. So guess what? If the enemy can get a weak church, none of that's going to be happening in the world. And the world needs help and the world needs healing, but they can't receive the help and healing they need if the church is not the church that it should be. Are you with me today? But this word church that Jesus spoke about in the gospels, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That word is ecclesia. That's the Greek word for it. And it means the called out assembly. That God has called you out. He's chosen you out. And notice what he does. He doesn't just call you out by yourself. He calls you out in the group. He calls you out in the community. He calls you out to assemble together. He doesn't call you out just for you. Now, we live in America, which is very independent and individualistic. So more than other countries, we push back at that idea. I don't need nobody. I I made myself. I'm a self-made millionaire. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I don't need anybody. Now, listen, you know, there's some good things about taking personal responsibility for your life, but not to the point that you're isolated and alone. That's not biblical. The Bible says that we need each other. We need a church. We need a group together, the called out assembly, which is the definition of the church, to gather together, to pray together, to worship together, to hear the teaching of the word together, to do what we can't do by ourselves. Because how many of you know we can do way more together than we can do apart from each other? That's why he calls us together And that's what the local church is. It is God's called out, separated out family on the earth. It's God's church and it's God's idea. So when we fight against the church and we criticize the church, we're criticizing God's church, not a man's church. When we fight against the church, we're talking about the bride of Christ. And you know, Jesus takes that personally. That's his bride. That the Bible says that Jesus loved the church and gave himself for the church, and we should too, if we're a part of his church. But I want to talk specifically today about being planted in God's house. There's one idea that I talked about last week, and I'm going to narrow in on that. And when we talk about the house of God, I want to be more specific because we need to talk about the difference between the global church and the local church. I mentioned this last week, when you come into Christ, you become a part of the global church, which is 2.4 billion, last time I looked it up. 2.4 billion people on the planet say they are followers of Jesus, They're, they're a part of his church. You become a part of the global church when you come into Christ. But when you come into Christ, he doesn't just make you a part of the global church, he plants you in a local church. And it's not either or, it's both and. It's not just like, I'm just a part of the global church. No, if you're part of the global church, God will plant you and place you in a local church. Now, just to let you know a little history of your New Testament, every book written in the New Testament was written to a local church. Not a local group of renegades at Coffee Crossing. Come on, you go work with me today? It was written to a local church. All the leaders you hear mentioned in the scriptures, the books written to like Timothy and Titus, James and Peter and John, guess what? They were all leaders in the local church. 
All the traveling ministers and evangelists you see in the New Testament were a part of a local church that they were accountable to and they went to. There is no such thing as a person in your New Testament that was not a part of a local group or assembly. So for those of us who say, I can make it on my own, you can't. Not only that, you're being disobedient to the scriptures. Because every person in the New Testament that we read was a part of a local church. Philippians, guess what? It was a local church in Philippi. Colossians was a local church in Colossae. Ephesians was a local church in Ephesus. All local churches. Even Galatians, it was a group of local churches in, in Galatia. So we see here that God, when we come into Christ, when we get saved, he places us in his global church, which I like to remind myself of that, and you should too, because we're a part of something so much bigger than New Albany. So much bigger than the Midwest, so much bigger than even the United States. God's moving, and there's billions and billions of people this morning having a church service like this in every country you can imagine. And even countries that, that, that they're not even supposed to have service, they're meeting somewhere this morning. In Muslim nations, and communist nations, there's billions and billions of fellow people Brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, in the family of God, that are meeting today. And that's beautiful. We're a part of that global church today. But not at the expense of being a part of a local church and a local group of people that God will call you to. The church is the called out assembly. Notice that's not in the single. That's about the group. That's not the individual. That is the community. So that's what I'm going to talk about today. I want to talk about being planted in God's house. How do we get planted? Why do we need to be planted? And the benefits of what happens to us when we really get planted in the place that God wants us to be. Do you, do you want to hear that today? There's 114 times in the New Testament that it says the word church. And 90 of those times refer specifically to a local church. So let's talk about this because we titled this message, Planted in God's House. So what is God's house? What is God's house? Well, there's four that I could count in the Bible of places called God's house. Now, in the Old Testament, the house of God, first of all, was the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the tent that Moses made when they were in the wilderness. They came out of Egypt. We sang that. And they were going to the promised land. Now, even if you haven't read your Bible, you've seen Veggie Tales. Right? So we're all on the same page here. Even if you don't read your Bible, you saw Veggie Tales. So we're, we're good. In the promised land, it's going to be so grand. Low-key fire songs on Veggie Tales. If you, if you played that and you slowed down some of the lyrics, you're like, how did they come up with these lyrics? It's spectacular, the writers of Veggie Tales. Anyways, I, I'm, I'm getting back to God's house. So, so God's people, which there was millions of them. Everybody say millions. There was millions of God's people came out of Egypt. They were slaves. They were going to the promised land. They were God's people. And when they got to the wilderness where, where they were stopping, God said, I want you to build me a house. And what was the house for? The house was for worship. The house was for God's people to assemble together to worship God, to do life together, to be in community with each other. And, and in a side note, they put the tabernacle in the middle of the camp. The middle of the camp. They didn't put the tabernacle at the side of the camp, the back side of the desert. They put it in the middle of the camp. You know why? Because it needed to be the center of their life. Now, we live in a day and an age that says, if I got time this week, I'll go to church. If, if I got time this week, I'll make it to life group. No, the Bible says God's house should be at the center. Come on now, somebody. 
the center of the camp. So, so everybody had their tents around God's house. So every time they woke up, they saw God's house. And everything in their life of God's people in the Old Testament, millions of people revolved around God's house. It wasn't a secondary thing. It wasn't like, well, I got my kids games, and I got a job, and I got to do this. And my date nights are on Saturday night, so I can't come to church on Sunday mornings. You got every other night of the week to do that, y'all. Y'all want to play or not today? I'm coming fully out of conference. I'm ready to go now. Let me go. And we live in a day and an age and a culture that says, yeah, I'll get around to it if I got time. How disrespectful. <laughs> Dishonorable. Says you don't care. Your actions say, I don't really care, God. That's why God had to literally say, I'm going to put this right in the middle, y'all, so you don't forget about it. And put it right in the middle of the camp. You're going to see it every morning. You're going to see it every night. You're going to see it every day. The whole community, which there's millions of people, will revolve around God's house. And if we're planted, our life should revolve around God's house. Now, I realize you guys got jobs. Good. Because then you got tithe money. So I'm for that. Now, don't all y'all quit your job because we need some tithes coming in here. I know you got families. God wants you to be with your family. But guess where he wants you to bring your family? The house of God. That's the best example you can give them, not, oh, we're tired tonight. Boy, we got some sensitive parents up in here. It's quiet in this Methodist church. Now, I wasn't raised like that. And guess why I turned out the way I am today? Because I didn't have an option. And let me speak for a second. This is not on my notes. Y'all started this by being quiet. I wouldn't have messed with y'all if y'all were just shouting me down already. But we live in a, in a time that parents like me, which I'm a millennial, and then Gen Z under us, we are the softest parents known to man. And we don't bring our kids out past 6 o'clock at night because we're like, they got to get to sleep or what's going to happen? They'll be fine. Because they stayed up for the ball game and they were still fine the next day for school. They stayed up to do their, their homework project to midnight and they were fine. But church, oh, we need to stay home and rest tonight, guys. Y'all being soft. Stop being soft parents. I'm talking to myself too. I'm a millennial parent in Gen Z. I noticed that in our church. Miss Donna said it's true. Is this? I love you, but let me challenge you parents that are my age. You're in your 30s, 20s, maybe some of you in your 40s. Your kids, the place they need to be is in the house of God. We got a lot going on. We can't get them to Corey on Wednesday night. The best place they need to be is in the house of God. That was a lot of special meetings. The best place they need to be is the house of God. You know Why? Because when they graduate from high school, they ain't going to remember any of that. They ain't going to have them same friends they've been crying over because they couldn't go to the party. Guess what's still going to be there? The local church. Guess what? Little Johnny's not going to the NFL. Guess what will still be there when he's not playing and he's working at Big Lots? The local church. And telling everybody at Big Lots, you know, when I was in high school, boy, I was a bad man. But you know what will be with them forever? The local church. What you receive here and in God's house is eternal. It will outlast middle school, high school. It will outlast their college. It will last all those things. If you want a child who's not just coming to church when they're teenagers or kids, you got to get them here when they want to be here, when they don't want to be here. On a school night, on not a school night. If they have a ball game, if they don't. And that's not legalistic and religious. That's just right. It's called wisdom. I told you, y'all were quiet and you started this. I didn't even have to go there. This is not in my notes. If y'all would have been shouting me down, I would have just let this go. I would have kept these personal comments to myself and just been irritated about it. 
But now you know what I think? I'm joking. But I am serious about the comments, not the irritation. The tabernacle was in the middle of the camp. God's house. The old people saw it. The young people saw it. The middle-aged people saw it. The baby saw it. Everybody saw it because God's house was in the middle of their life. Not a side thing. Not if I get time. Not if I get off work. And you guys are so overly privileged in this country that you can come to a church that has air conditioning, that has a great sound system. There's countries, really most of the church world is in countries that they don't have AC. They don't have a nice chair like this. They don't have sound systems like this. But they stay for hours and hours and hours. And we're begging people in America, please just come to church once a week for two hours. Do you see how that doesn't make sense? Do you see the mentality there is just such a low way of thinking? No. We got 160 plus hours in a week and then two hours. Because we only have, got, have one service right now. Most weeks. is a stretch. It's hard to get here. I love you guys, but God's house is what's best for you. I would never apologize about that. Special meetings is what's best for you. First Wednesday is what's best for you. If we put it on the calendar, we're not just doing it just like, hey, uh, you know, let's just throw some dice and see if we want to put a special meeting on the calendar. No, it's like we prayed about it and we're like, we need to have this person. We need to have this service. We don't do it haphazardly. We do it because we know our church community needs it. But how many know you can't receive the benefits of it if you're not here? Well, you have the uh, kindness of a house cat this morning towards me. You know what that means? Not friendly. Not like a puppy. A puppy's like, oh, yeah, I love you. Cat's like, all right, whatever. Now, I know I'm challenging you this morning, but I'm telling you the truth. Speaking the truth in love. I love you. That's why I want you to put God's house in the middle. It's what's best for your family, your kids, your grandkids, your cousins, anybody you could bring with you. God's house should be a priority. But in the Old Testament, God's house was the tabernacle, was a tent where God met with his people. Then after they went to the promised land, eventually they had kings. And David and Solomon, very familiar to, if you read your Bible, David and Solomon, they were the kings of Israel and they built God a temple, which was a massive building made of marble and gold and silver and wood. And that was God's house, the temple. But we see something happens in the New Testament. Are you still with me today? Something happens in the New Testament and God's house becomes two things, actually. In, in the New Testament, when Jesus goes to the cross and he goes to the grave and he rises from the dead, and we have the ability to be born again and God's spirit live in us, we all become the house of God. Isn't that what it says in the New Testament? You are the house of God. It says that you are the temple. What's the temple in the Old Testament? The house of God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what it says in the New Testament. We are. So God's presence dwells in us. So we are all walking, talking houses of God. But... It also says in your New Testament that the gathering or the group of God's people together makes up the house of God. And it's both. It's never one without the other. Yes, you are the house of God. So everywhere you go, God's presence goes. God's kingdom goes. You are the church. Whether you're in Target, whether you're at the gym, whether you're at school, even though you're not in this building, you still are the church and God's presence lives in you. That's true. But that never takes away of the importance of the local gathering of God's people. It never takes a place of the called out assembly that God wants to do through his church. And you see both of those things equally happening and spoken of in your New Testament. 
you are the house of God, but yet you come to the house of God and gather with God's people. Got to have both. It was never just about a building, and it's still not. It's about God's people coming together for worship and community, the house of God. You ready for the rest of this? The house of God in your Old Testament, David loved God's house. Now, if you read your Bible, we know that David was a man after God's own heart. And if you read the Psalms specifically, you hear a common theme come up with David's love for God's house. Now, think about this. If David was a man after God's own heart and David loved God's house, I think there's a connection there. Because God loves his house, and if we love him, we'll love what he loves, which is his house. Now, now I'm going to give you a few verses on David talking about God's house. Psalm 27 and verse 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold his beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Are you hearing the heart of David? Listen to this, Psalm 23 and verse 6, familiar to us. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 122 in verse 1, David says, I was glad when they said to me, let us have another special meeting. I was glad when they said, we're going to have first Wednesday service. I was glad when they said, come back Sunday night, we're going to have a prayer meeting. I was glad when they said, it's a new season of life groups. I'm ready to go. I was glad about it because if I love him, I'll love what he loves. And he loves his house. He does. And if we love him, we'll love what he loves. Listen to the heart of David. He said, there's one thing I desire, that I be in God's house. There's one place I want to be that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is not a side issue in my life. This is the main thing. And trust me this morning, like the Bible says, if you get the main thing right, everything else in your life will get worked out. Jesus said it himself, seek first the kingdom and all the things that you're worried about, that you're crying about, that you're upset about, that you're working so hard to do. When you seek him first, his kingdom first, his church first, all these things will be added when we put his house at the priority of it. I'm preaching this morning whether you're listening to me or not. You put his place first and all these things will get lined out so many people want counseling sessions no you just need to come to church you would get the answers if you're actually here you wouldn't need anybody's extra time why well, i need help pastor were you at the special meetings no well <laughs> And how many know, me as a pastor, I'm always thinking, when they give a prayer line, and I know somebody told me that issue, and Dad says from the front, if you have this, this, and this, come up here. And I'm thinking, that's that person. And they decide to stay home tonight. They could have got delivered that night. They could have got healed that night. God was trained to answer their prayers, but he wasn't answering that through a counseling session. He was answering that by being at the local church. Come on, I'm helping myself today. I'm on that after-conference hangover. Just bear with me today. Listen to the importance that David placed on God's house. Let's bring it up again, Psalm 122.1. I was glad. I was happy. I was excited. You know the most exciting day of the week? Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Now, I was feeling this way my whole life, even before I was a preacher. You're like, you got to feel that way. You're the one preaching today. No, I felt this way my whole life. It's like Christmas. For me, it is every week. 
to be in God's house, to see all of you. You know, I used to be on the worship team. None of you even know that. But I get here very early. I get here two hours before every service my whole entire life when I had a car. My whole entire life. By myself, I turned on every light. I turned on the, even if I wasn't supposed to, I was turning on the sound system, turning on the PowerPoint. I got it working already. I'm over here on the stage tuning my guitar, singing a song. Why? Because I was glad. I was glad when they said, let's go to church. I was happy about it. I was excited about it. It's the highlight of my life. And it should be yours too if you love what God loves. He loves his house. There's nothing like it. There's nothing that can replace it. There's nothing that it can take its place in our life. No matter how we try to do it, God's house is special. Psalm 8410. Psalm 8410. A single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. Listen to what he says. I'd rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God. What does that mean? I'd rather work in kids on the rock. I'd rather vacuum the carpet. I'd rather scrub the toilets. I'd rather play the keys. I'd rather sing on stage. I'd rather give my tithe. Then what does he say? Because he was the king, so he had ability to go where he wanted to go. He said, I'd rather be a gatekeeper at the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. That's where I want to be. No other place to be. Don't believe the lies. Don't believe Instagram. That people are really out there living it. And the people going to church, we ain't living it. But y'all really living it. All their content is very filtered. David said, I'd rather hold the door at my church than live a good life. With all these wicked, rich, wealthy people on Instagram acting like they got it all together. I'd rather just scrub the toilets. I'd rather just come to church. I'd rather do anything than to be there. I'd rather be in God's house than any other place. I don't care if I got invited by a president or a prime minister. I don't care if I got invited by the rich and wealthy and the beautiful and the popular and the influencers. I'd rather be in God's house more than that. Are you with me today? I'd rather be there, and you should too. And, and, and judge your own heart and your own life. If you start feeling yourself drifting like, man, that looks kind of fun, and I wish I would. You're deceived. Thinking the grass is greener on the other side. Guess where the grass is green, where you water it. And on the other side of the grass is cow dung that you go step in. Because they've done filtered their grass on Instagram and it looks green, but it's actually cow dung over there. You still here today? David's attitude towards the house of God was I love God's house. I want to be in God's house. I want to serve. And he was the king of Israel. And he humbled himself to that place and he said, man, if I, if I just do valet at church, I'm good. If I just get to be there doing that, I'm good. If, if I get to pass a bucket at church, I'm good. The king was saying that. He had all power, all authority, all, all the money, especially in ancient times. And he said, man, what a privilege just to be in God's house. To be there, to be with each other, to worship God, to serve in the house of God. Man, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. You with me today? I'm preaching myself happy this morning. But the same David that wrote these passages is the same David who wrote Psalm 92. And that's where we're going to stay the rest of the time. Psalm 92, if we could bring it up. In verse 12, it says, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. To declare the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. But David said, those who are planted in the house of the Lord, they're the ones that are going to flourish. They're the ones that 
and we're going to get into this in a little bit later, it talks about all the results of being planted. They're going to be like this tree. They're going to be like that tree. Their life's going to be fresh and flourishing. They're going to still bear fruit in old age. Not just those who go to church, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish. Those who are planted. Now, remember earlier we said God will place you in a local church, not just the global church. So everybody needs a church. There ain't nobody getting out of that. Everybody needs a church. Do you realize even ministry gifts need a church? That's a prophet, but he still needs a local church. Mike Rabel's an apostle. He still needs a local church. Brother Sean's a teacher. He still needs a local church. I'm a pastor. And I still need a local church. No one's above that, even leaders, because we need other people. But God will plant you in the place that's best for you. But the Bible says, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish. Now, let me ask you a question. Because many people are not planted, they're potted. And there's a difference. If you're planted, you bear fruit. If you're potted, you have little to no fruit. If you're planted, you grow. If you're potted, you have little to no growth. If you're planted, you're strong. If you're potted, you're weak. Most believers I see are not really planted, they're potted. That means the roots have not gone down deep into that church community and they can be quickly uprooted at any time if they're offended. Now, I'm not a farmer, but we do live in the Midwest. And we have a resident botanist on staff, which is Miss Jenny, who knows all about plants. But anyone would know this, you cannot constantly uproot plants and expect them to be strong. You cannot constantly uproot plants and expect them to bear fruit. You cannot constantly uproot plants and move it from here to here to here like a lot of Christians do and expect them to be as strong and stable as they need to be. It will never grow. It will never be what it could be until it gets planted in the actual soil and stops being potted. You know, uh, the past few days we had a lot of wind. And there's a wind advisory. And during the special meetings, back by my office, there's a lot of plants that are potted. Guess what? One of those days when I drove up to church early, a lot of those plants were like halfway down the parking lot. Because they were potted, not planted. But you know, there's a bunch of trees back by my office, and they're in the ground, and the roots have gone down deep. They didn't budge. They were still just as strong, just as tall, just as thriving, just as full of life as they've ever been. But the potted plants around my back office, just by a little wind, blew them all the way down the hill. Why? Because they weren't planted. Reminds me of a verse in Ephesians that says, if you're not planted in God's house, you'll be blown around by every wind of doctrine. You'll be blown around and you won't be stable because you're potted. Just like the potted plants on, at your house or on your deck. One gust of wind, they gone. And some of them don't survive the fall. Because when you pick them up, it's like they're everywhere across the ground because the wind, but they were potted, they weren't planted. Now, there's something about being planted because, and we're going to see this in the word picture it gives in Psalm 92. When things are planted, they're strong, they're fruitful, they grow, they got stability about them, which is completely different than potted plants. There's a cap on how big potted plants can grow. They're not going to be strong, they're not going to be stable. And they're going to be limited in their growth. But a lot of people live there because they never get settled in a local church to be planted in God's house. Are you still with me today? You got to be planted in God's house. 
Or then there's a third option, which is for the real wild people. There's tumbleweed Christian, which is no roots, no fruit, no growth, and kind of itchy to be around. Tumbleweed. You met them. They got a new church every week. They got a new podcast every week. Or they're the ones that go to a new church all the time and you're like, yeah, I'm not really getting fed there. Dude, you've already been to 100 churches. If you ain't getting fed, then you ain't eating. Because it's not every pastor's job in this community to feed you. And if you can't find one good meal at 100 restaurants, you ain't eating. But I've heard people say that, and I'm like, well, we've been to Northside, and we've been to Graceland, and we've been to Hillside, and we've been to the Methodist Church, and we've been to Church on the Rock, and none of them feed me, and none of them work out. You ain't eating, because it ain't the pastor's fault at every church. Look at yourself in the mirror. It is you. It is. But I don't have to tell you, you guys know their life. It's a train wreck. It's a tale of woe. Why? Because they're bearing the fruits of being potted, not planted, which is not much. And there's a difference between people that are planted in God's house or potted in God's house. Or like I said, even worse, there's some tumbleweed people. They never stop. They just keep going and going and going the rest of their life, and they never get plugged in anywhere. And they never receive the benefits of being planted in God's house. I feel like you're with me. I'm going to say a few other things here. And we're going to talk a second about Psalm 92 and the benefits of being planted in God's house. Because I, I know that you guys want to be planted in God's house where God tells you to be. But there's a lot of benefits that we need to talk about. This is what happens when we really get planted in a local church where God told us to be. So here's a question I get a lot, and I'm going to try to answer this in the most kind, thoughtful, and nuanced way I can. It is, well, pastor, can't I just go to any church and get plugged in? Can't I just go to any church? The silence. You could hear a church mouse here. Can't I just, because that's a legitimate question. A lot of people are like, okay, I believe I need to get planted, but can I just pick? Can I just go anywhere? Well, the Apostle Paul says it like this. All things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. Or he says it like this. You can do whatever you want, but not everything is going to help you. So before I dive deeper into this question, let me say that to start with. Can I go to any church you, you want? Yeah, you can. But not everything's good for you. Not everything's going to help your life. But how do I know where I need to go? Because it's not just important that you're planted, but it's important where you're planted matters how much you grow. Hear me this morning. The soil you are planted in will determine the fruit you produce. So I know you guys are with me. You're like, yeah, I need to get planted. But it's not just important that you're planted. It's important you're planted in the right place, in the right soil where God wants you to be. Because that will determine the fruit or the results you get in your life. Okay, so let's talk about this. How do I choose a church then? You don't choose it for the kids' ministry. Now, with all these things, I'm going to add a comment to it. Because lucky for you, we got a great kids' ministry at Church on the Rock. But you don't choose it for that reason. You don't choose it for the worship team. Lucky for you, or blessed... You have an outstanding worship team with outstanding musicians, with outstanding singers. And trust me, I encourage you, listen to other churches in this community's live stream. You will come kiss Amzi on the forehead afterwards. You will. They're still giving God banjo praise over in these churches. I mean, it's special. 
Trust me, I feel bad for him. We have been blessed at this church with the musicians and singers we got. But you don't go to church just because they're worship team. You don't go to church because they got a gymnasium. Well, I'm going to shoot hoops with pastor. Well, maybe at the court down the street. But you don't choose a church just, well, they got a workout gym I can go to if I go to that church. You don't choose for that reason. You don't choose because your friends go there. That helps. Good thing for you, all your friends are here. But you don't choose just because your friends go there. You don't even choose because you like the pastor, and I know you love me with all your heart. <laughs> oh, that was, that was about 67% on that. Amen. You don't choose for any of those reasons. So, so pastor, how am I supposed to know what church to go to? How am I supposed to know where to get planted? It's real simple. You got to go where God tells you to go. Oh my gosh. A spiritual answer. Because let's be honest, most Christians don't choose a church because God told them to go there. They choose a church because the kids ministry, the worship team. I like their small groups. I like their cafe at their church. I like the way the pastor preaches. I like this and I like that, which that's all great and that's all good and we need to do all those things. But you should go to the church that God tells you to go to. Now, we believe that as Christians that we are led by the Spirit of God. So that means God knows the right place for you to be and he'll speak to you if you're listening and he'll tell you where to go, where you fit best, where you'll grow best, and that's the soil that you need to plant in because he knows what you need. So once again, can I just go anywhere? You can, but not everything's good for you. Well, how do I choose? You got to go where God tells you to go. And I can't answer that question for you. I can't. Only you can answer that question for yourself based off what God tells you. The Bible says in Ephesians, he places us in the body as it pleases him. So he knows where we all fit and he's going to put you where you fit, where you'll grow, where your little tree will like that soil and you'll be strong and healthy. And he knows that more than you know that. He knows that more than I know that. He knows that because he's God and he'll place you in the right soil that you will grow. Did I answer that question okay for you? A little bit further. I know we're going on 55 minutes, but um, this is too good to stop. So that's, that's where I'm going to leave it at. So God knows the right soil that you need to be in because that will determine the fruit that you produce. God knows where you will grow best. Let's say it like this. An orange tree and an oak tree. If an orange tree is trying to be planted in New Albany, Indiana, it's not going to grow the way it needs to grow. Why? Because orange trees belong in Florida. If you're an oak tree, the best place for you to be is not Florida. It's Indiana. Does that make sense to you? Guess what? God knows what kind of tree you are. He knows whether you're an oak tree, an orange tree, an apple tree, a cedar tree, a palm tree. And guess what? He knows the right soil and the right place to plant you. And that's where he will tell you to go. So once again, can I go anywhere? Yes. But can an orange tree be planted anywhere? Yes, kind of. But it will only grow best where it needs to be planted and in the right soil. Same way with you. Will you grow if you go to other churches? Yeah. But if it's not where God called you to be, you'll only grow so much. And you won't fulfill everything God has for you. Come on, are you hearing me today? I'm trying to explain this to you in a way you understand. It's real simple. God knows where you grow best. And he knows what kind of tree you are. And he'll get the right soil where you belong. Now, I know this gets sensitive. Church people get sensitive. The culture gets sensitive. Because it's just like, if anyone acts like they're committed to a church, they're like, cult! Golly. Do you say cult when you act committed to your husband or wife? It's just a covenant relationship. But yet they cry cult when someone acts halfway committed to your church. 
That's a covenant relationship too. In all important relationships you have are covenant relationships. So don't, don't let other church people or even other people in the world put you down because you act halfway committed to your church. You're like, well, you, that sounds kind of cultish over there. Listen to me. The door is unlocked. That door is unlocked. You can do whatever you want. I love you. But if you need to leave, do what you got to do. This is not a cult. This is a free will place. You can come if you want. You don't have to come if you want. All I'm saying is listen to God and he'll tell you where to plant. Not even listen to me. Listen to God and he'll tell you where to be. And once he tells you to be there, get planted. And stay planted. And let your roots start growing out and getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And get committed to the place that God has for you. Because that's where you will grow. Has nothing to do about being a cold or being overcommitted. You're committed to everything that you think is important in your life. Including your church. No one's holding you here. I don't know why you'd want to leave when you have such a nice pastor. <laughs> I'm joking. But, but here's something I've come across before. Sometimes I've had people come to talk to me when they're about to go somewhere else. And uh, I've had two different responses for two different people just because I knew the churches they were going to. Now, many people push back and like, are you trying to control people? <laughs> no, I'm called a pastor, and a pastor's supposed to watch after his sheep. Even if it's being protective of his sheep. But let me tell you two different stories, and I'll tell you today this story. So I've had two different people. Now, most people just slide on out the back door. They don't say nothing. Now, really, we haven't lost many people since I've been in charge because y'all just love me so much. I'm joking once again, and you guys are taking this way too seriously. But if we have lost people, they don't come up and tell me. They're just like, and then you see them there, and then you see them there, and then you see them where Hoss is. Think about it. Hoss, you better tighten it up. That's how it starts. He's a couple rows from the back door. He's just playing drums and he's out after, before the message starts. God, pastor, another week. I didn't even have to hear his message. So most people do that. You do you. It's a free country. You got a free will. I ain't trying to stop you. But I've had a couple people talk to me. And in the situations they talk to me about, I had two different answers, so it's not the same for everybody. One time I had a conversation with somebody, and they were just like, I'm going to leave the church, and I want to go here. And I didn't try to convince them to not do that because they already made up their mind. And I knew the church they were going to, which was another spirit-filled church and believed a lot like us. So you know what I said? I said, go for it. You're thinking, Pastor, you didn't argue with them and tell them to stay at your church? No, because I knew the church they were going to. And I said, hey, if God's really called you to go there, I know who that pastor is. I know they're a spirit-filled church. That's a great church. Go for it. It's all love. Don't feel like there's any tension between us. It's all love. Go do that if that's where you feel like God's placed you. I'm all for that. So that's one scenario. So I've had had that conversation with people. But then I've had other conversations with people, and, and just think about it this way. I've had another person talk to me and say, Pastor, I'm thinking about leaving the church, and I want to go here. Now, this other situation, I already knew the church. And it wasn't a good report. And I know the character of their staff. And I know what they teach. And they don't teach half of the stuff that we teach. So as their pastor, this is what I said to them. How are you going to grow in a church that you know more than what the pastor preaches? You know what they said? Nothing. They hit the chip at Puerto Vallarta and said, thank you. Nothing. Isn't that a legitimate question? 
And then I ask other questions like, hey, do you know they kind of do this, this, and this, and this? As your pastor, I'm thinking this is probably not a good place for you to be planted. Of course, as per usual with most people I take to Porto, they eat my food, I pay for it, and then I never see them again. I never got aggressive in that conversation, but I said, hey, as your pastor, if you're bringing those up to me, I'm going to tell you, you know more than what they are teaching you. You've been around things your whole life. They don't believe in those things, so you're not going to grow there. You're not going to be healthy there. You're not going to be strong there. I'm not trying to keep you. If you don't want to be here, go somewhere else, but at least find a church like ours because you've been on this level of teaching your whole life. Are, are you with me? And I know what type of tree you are, and you're trying to put your uh, soil, your uh, roots down in the soil in a place that you're not going to be able to grow that good. They didn't listen. You know, we left that day. We hugged each other. It was all love. I didn't end it on a bad note. I was like, it's all love. If I see you out in public, it's all love. If it's here, it's all love. Now, I really, sometimes in our church groups, we have a problem with that. All right. I'm at an hour. I got to close. But I, I just shared with him as the pastor on my heart that I don't think you'll grow best there. Was I trying to control him? So I trying to twist his arm. No, I was looking out for him as a friend and a pastor because I know the kind of soil he's being planted in. Hear me again. In the soil you're planted in will determine the fruit you produce. And God knows the right place for you to be planted. He knows the right place. I don't, but he does. And he'll place you there. And once you get there, let your roots grow down deep. Brother Daryl, could you come up? I'm landing the plane. Thank you for listening today. Psalm 92 in verse 12. We're going to go real slow through this real quick. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. That word flourish means this is the, the byproducts. This is the result of being planted. You will flourish. The word flourish means to grow, to develop in a healthy and vigorous way. The word flourish means to thrive, to grow, to prosper, to increase. It says when you get planted, you will flourish. Now, once we get into this word picture that he gives of trees, you'll notice a lot of similarities because he's repeating himself on what happens when you get planted. It says the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. Now, what's the significance of a palm tree? Many things. Palm trees in the ancient world always stood for abundance, provision. It also stood for victory. When, when people won battles, a lot of times they would have palms because it stood for victory. So what's he saying? When you're planted, you're going to walk in abundance. You're going to walk in provision. And you're going to have victory because you're like a palm tree. You're planted in the right soil. A palm tree also lives long. They have a long life. They're healthy. Palm trees are known for their stability and their strength. How many know when you see hurricane footage in Florida and other places, a lot of times everything will be blown over, but they'll still be palm trees. Why? Because they're planted. They're known for their strength and their stability. And God says those who are planted will be like the palm tree. Their life will look like all these things. But notice he said, and then you're going to grow like a cedar in Lebanon. What's a cedar in Lebanon? Well, the cedar in ancient times was known for strength and prosperity. The cedar was known to grow to an immense size. The cedar in ancient times was known as the king of the trees. They were known to be the largest and best trees that you could get. And it's interesting to note, if you read about God's house being built and the temple being built, guess what kind of wood they used to build God's house? Cedars. Because it was the best. Because it was the strongest. 
And how many know when we're planted in God's house, we're going to be like those cedars too. We're going to grow strong and tall. Why? To build God's house. To, to be a strength in God's house. To be a pillar in God's house. They used those cedars to build Solomon's temple. And they were the best trees they could find. But it says that's what your life's going to be like when you're planted in the house of the Lord. You'll be like a palm. You'll be like a cedar. And you'll grow and you'll flourish. Next verse. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord, once again, shall flourish, repeating himself. Flourish means, once again, to increase, to prosper in the courts of our God. Verse 14, I love this part. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. Are you seeing them repeat themselves? Are you hearing these things? I keep hearing repeated. Long life, health, prosperity, abundance. I'm hearing in all these passages, strength, stability. He's repeating himself on purpose to say, these are all the benefits of being planted in God's house. This is what your life is going to look like. This is what your family is going to look like, but it only happens to those who are planted. But it says, if we could pull up verse 14, they shall still bear fruit in old age. Why? Because they're planted in the right place. They'll still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. Now, I've seen people without a church grow older, and I've seen a per person with a church grow older, and there's a difference. Why? Because when you're in planted in God's house, you live long, you live strong, there's abundance. And it says you'll still bear fruit. That means that you'll be in your 70s and your 80s and your 90s and if, hundreds if you want it. And you'll still be bearing fruit. You'll still be thriving. You'll still be a part of life groups. You'll still be serving on ministry of helps. You'll still be important to future generations. But that doesn't happen to people that aren't planted. But it says when you're planted, you'll still bear fruit when you get old. And you'll see it in your children, in your children's children. Why? Because you chose to be planted in the house of the Lord. They shall be fresh and flourishing. I love this passage because in the King James it says they'll be fat and flourishing. Some of you said I resist that. Some of you said I receive that. But if you know what fat means in the Bible, it means a lot of things. But first of all, in ancient times, if you were fat, that means you had abundance. You see all the pictures? The peasants were skinny. The kings were fat. That means you have provision. But also in the Bible, the fat is always attached to the anointing. That's what it means. And it says when you get older because you're planted, you'll still bear fruit and you'll still be full of oil. The anointing of God when you get older. You'll still be fresh when you get older. You'll still be full of life when you get older. And you'll still be flourishing because you're planted in God's house. Isn't that wonderful this morning? These are all benefits of being planted in God's house. So today, I'm going to ask you, and many of you are really planted in God's house, but maybe you're not fully planted. Get planted. And I'm not saying get planted. When I say that, I'm not saying get planted here. Get planted where God tells you to be. If it's not here, go there. Because that's where you'll grow best. But if it's here, get committed. Let your roots grow down deep. Don't just come on Sunday mornings. Come to special meetings. Don't just look at the other people on your row when it's offering time. Get something out of your pocket if you're planted. If you believe in the place that you're at, don't just look at the ministry helps. Be a part of serving in your church. That's part of being planted and letting your roots grow down deep. And the more you do that, the stronger you get, the healthier you get, the more you grow when you let your roots grow down into the soil of God's house. But that's not automatic. That's a choice that we all have to make when God tells us to get planted in a house. Those who are planted in the house shall flourish in the courts of their God.
Would you guys get something today? Can we stand up this morning? I appreciate you coming today. Thank you, Father. Let's raise our hands. Father, we love you today. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for this wonderful service we've had, from the worship to the offering to the preaching. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in this house. We thank you, Father God, that people would get planted where you tell them to get planted. That they get planted in the house of the Lord, whether it's here or somewhere else. We see it, we know it, and we're going to be doers of God's word. And Father, we thank you. We say right now as a church family, we're going to receive all the benefits in our life of being planted. In our families, in our children's children, in our marriages, in our money. Father, that we would be like those trees that you said. Because we're planted, we're going to be strong. That we're going to live long. That we're going to have provision and health. That our life is going to show strength and stability. That, Father, that you're going to move in our life. And that we could be a part of building your house on the earth. Thank you for a church that we can be planted in and to do what you've called us to do. Thank you, Father. There's no greater privilege and honor than to be planted in your house. Father, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you for each other. We thank you for where this church is going. We thank you that we're growing and increasing in favor and wisdom. And we thank you we're growing and increasing in numbers. Thank you, Father God, that new people are coming, new people are getting plugged in, that our church is becoming the church that it's called to be. And we thank you for letting us be a part of your house in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Love you guys. Thank you so much for listening today. For more information about what's happening at Church on the Rock, visit cotrin.org.